Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. And in this episode, I'm very delighted to be joined by JP Joel. Now, JP runs Facebook ads. And in particular, he's come onto the show to talk about one campaign that he ran, which is pretty crazy. So the deal here, they had to spend a million dollars. They only had six weeks to do it and managed to get a 4.3 return on ad spend so with the I think it was 1.3 million that they spent they got four times as much back which in a six-week window when you don't have much time for iteration and improvement is pretty impressive stuff so he's come on to the show to talk about exactly how they did it some of the testing and learning that they got as a result of it and some quite counterintuitive stuff here as well I guess the beauty of working in such an intense uh, situation is that you're forced to try things outside of your comfort zone and it's often that type of thing that can bring the profound stuff because otherwise we just kind of tend to do what we've seen work in the past and we iterate our way to perfection rather than just taking a massive leap throwing out everything and saying right if we've got six weeks to spend a million how are we going to do this it forces you to think on another level so some really interesting insights from this episode hope you enjoy it don't forget if you want some help running your own facebook ads or improving the leads and sales that you get from your website then you can request a free website and marketing review from the team here at exposure ninja just go to exposureninja.com click that big green button and one of the team will send over a 15 minute video where we'll deconstruct what you could be doing on your website to increase your lead and sales volume and also give you some tips on how to get more traffic through to your site as well well worth doing if you haven't already requested your review so go to exposureninja.com to do that anyway without further ado enjoy the show with jp joel JP, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me today. So you're here to talk us behind the scenes of a particular Facebook ad campaign that you run and how you managed to scale it very, very quickly, it turns out, to some rather tasty numbers. Maybe you could start off by giving us a bit of a background as to what sort of market the client is and, um, yeah, what, what, what was the situation when you first started working on this? Sure. So the client uh, that we're going to be talking about today is an e-commerce fashion retail company, uh, relatively unknown, but had been picking up some steam and had some very loyal customer base. Um, it was initially we were supposed to have three months the entire quarter to fulfill this campaign. However, we ran into some issues. They had some back end issues when we initially started the campaign where they weren't able to process any of the orders. So we had to pause the campaign. We also actually ended up having to wait quite a bit for creative uh, approval from their team. So we actually did this in about six weeks, about two weeks of planning and six weeks of the actual campaign. So we had to scale pretty quickly to get to that million dollar spend. So they had to spend the million dollars the plan was to spend it over three months but standard client delay stuff sorry for any of our clients that are listening but you always do it standard client delay stuff and it ended up being six weeks to spend a million from a standing start effectively yeah they had the end of their fiscal year as well as this new rebrand promotion that they were pushing so it had to be spent before a certain date and took about two weeks of prep 
with the creative and everything along those lines and setting up all of the ad sets, which, you know, I know we'll talk about later, but it was about eight, two weeks of prep and six weeks of the actual campaign launch. Cool. Got it. So fashion e-commerce, how do you start even thinking about which products to push? And firstly, what was the goal? I'm guessing the goal was sales through the website, right? Yeah, the goal was sales through their website. Um, you know, in terms of where to start, it was kind of a cluster. Um, they just brought in an entire new marketing team, CMO and director of digital marketing. So things were a little bit of a mess. So we tried to dive into all of the data. However, there was some issues with certain people not having access to give us the data, the, all of the data. So we started off with just kind of dissecting all of their best selling products, all of their previous Facebook, Google analytics, and kind of try to formulate a plan from there. So had they done much of this type of Facebook ad before? Did you have a lot of data to work with there? We had some data to work with. They hadn't done a lot of Facebook advertising specifically, but they did a lot with other ad networks, uh, Google Display, YouTube. Um, so in terms of pixel data, the pixel did have quite a bit of data and was seasoned pretty nicely. But in terms of actual Facebook campaign performance, they had not done nothing of, on this scale. Got it, got it. So starting to you know map out what a, a campaign that's going to have that sort of spend in that amount of time, you must have had to be fairly selective about the products that you were going to push. Was it just the best-selling products that you, they'd sold previously, or did you run any tests to see what was getting traction on Facebook early on? So we started with their best-selling products, primarily through paid channels. They had a couple of products that did well organically, but not so well when it came to paid advertising. So we took a list of all of their paid advertising, uh, their top paid products and then also their top overall products and kind of A-B tested them quite a bit. So before we actually started, we took about 16 to 18 organic posts. And, you know, from there, we kind of spent a little bit of money, about 75 to $100 a day for about seven to 10 days to see which one of those ads and products perform best. And then from there, we kind of doubled down on building the social proof of those ads. Um, so that's something that was really helpful in terms of understanding which products to use with very little budget. Mm. And it's something I actually really like to do with all of my clients that have a lot of different products. But in general, I like to do it as well just to see which type of ads perform best. Sure, that that's really interesting. And when you mentioned doubling down on the social proof of the ads, do you mean like picking the ones essentially that had highest engagement and knowing that that means that they'd be more likely to work best when you're advertising them. Absolutely. We would take a mix of likes, shares, comments, see which ones work, you know, kind of had the highest combination of all of them, pick one to two of those for the top of funnel, and then kind of ran a PPE campaign for about 10 days to a 7% lookalike of their past purchasers. Got it, got it. And to just kind of help social proof that ad before we jumped into full scale. Got it. So you wanted those ads to have likes and comments and shares and stuff before you push them really hard, right? Absolutely. I think that's something that 
you could get away with in the past with not having a lot of social proof, but in a competitive space, especially mm. in fashion, social proof is very important. And I'm, I'm curious, what were some of the characteristics of the products that performed best? It was interesting that you mentioned that the products that were doing best organically weren't necessarily the strongest when it came to running the ads. So what, what did you learn about what made a successful advertised product on Facebook in that test? You know, really ads that didn't look like ads, right? They looked, they were eye-catching, they were bright, they were vibrant. Those worked very well. And so what we came to find out was that the products that did well organically, that didn't do well with paid media in, in the past, it was just that the ads weren't right. The creative wasn't right, the creative wasn't there, the messaging wasn't right. And actually those, those products actually performed best. That's interesting. And and what about the copy that you used in the ads? Did you run any tests on that or was it just, you know, like the, the, the product carousel type ads? No, we ran a lot of different copy um, variations. And I think, you know, one of the things that we noticed was testimonials worked very well. Kind of leading with a testimonial over the product, you know, and that kind of goes back to the psychology of advertising you know, people don't like to be sold to. The second it feels like an ad, people's defenses go up. But, you know, the combination of using testimonials and social proofing the ads really helped accelerate the performance and was a big factor into why we were able to see, you know, a 4.37 return on ad spend. 4.37, ridiculous at that at that level that quickly. It, it's interesting you mentioned about testimonials. We found exactly the same. I guess this there's a couple of reasons we're big fans of testimonials in our copy. You can you can kind of say things that you can't really you wouldn't necessarily say about yourself or about your own products, but if you say it in a testimonial, it's more okay, isn't it? And I think there's also a there's like a curiosity when you see a testimonial, you're much more likely to read it than a piece of copy written by the brand itself for some reason that it just feels like I guess it's like reading Facebook comments. You're much more likely to read comments than maybe the ad copy in the post. It feels like there's like a, a curiosity there, I guess. Absolutely. You know, if I go and say attributes, the number one performance marketing agency in San Francisco, sure, of course I'm going to say that. Now, if you go ahead and say that, that's a whole different story, right? People are mm -hmm. going to pay attention to that and say, okay, well, Tim likes it. Yeah, yeah. Love that. I love that. So what did you learn about the... Um, oh, sorry. I asked you about what the copy. Let's let's talk about scaling up. So, so knowing that you had this six-week window to spend this million dollars, how did you decide how much to spend early on? So you got the okay from the client and you got all the creative. You're ready to go now. How do you start setting the budget? Do you go... Do you just divide the million by six and go, right, we're doing this every every week or do you kind of ramp things up? No, so we actually ran it through seven different ad accounts. Uh, the reason being that their budget wasn't set to support this and we kind of worked on those seven different ad accounts and worked with a Facebook rep to get the budget pushed up there. Um, you know, I think when you start a Facebook ad account, you're stuck at $750 a day, which, you know, to get 
to 1.25 million is not going to work. Um, so we set up seven different ad accounts and, you know, we really tested a lot of different ad sets. I'm not a big proponent of, you know, kind of that vertical scaling method, you know, kind of just all in one and raise 10% to 20%. You know, the other thing is we didn't have, we didn't have the time to do that. Mm. Uh, but also, you know, I know that John Lumero has had a really good saying about vertical versus horizontal. Vertical is kind of built on a glass house and horizontal is a lot more scalable and sturdy. So we probably had about 730 different ad sets throughout the course of the flight. So we would start each ad set at about three to four times the average conversion rate they've seen in the past. So the daily budget was set at about three to four uh, times that. And then from there, we would let see how it performed. And, you know, with running a test this this short with this much spend, we were have, we were forced to kind of cut or scale ad sets very quickly. So, sorry, when you say you set the budget based on three or four times the conversion rate in the past, uh, as in like cost per acquisition, so you're aiming for three or four conversions from each ad set based on previous data? Correct, daily budget. Got it, got it. So managing 730 ad sets and working this fast, how do you keep your eyes on everything when things are going to be changing and because they're all going to be fairly new some stuff's just going to be zeroing some stuff's going to be rocking out the park so using any software or any any other tools or just going into each of these ad accounts separately so for this particular one we did everything manually i keep an excel sheet um that i would have up i would update daily going back in on that 28 day conversion window and seeing how you know, okay, day one, this is what we saw, you know, add to carts, we saw five, we saw the cost at X, you know, we saw three purchases, whatever it might be. And then every day I'd have someone on my team update that for me. So I could see that 28 day conversion window. Um, that's something most marketers don't do, uh, but that data does change. You know, if I look back the last seven days today, my, you know, return on ad spend might be 1.75 but if i look at those same seven days on saturday it could be 2.4x mm. right and so understanding that data is very important you know i take a very data-driven approach and everything is ruled by data i don't you know if a client has a particular you know connection to certain ads or messaging which you know they always tend to do if it's not performing then i cut it you know yeah. i it's always, you know, no matter how many times you do this, no matter how much money you spend, it's always the ads that you are a little surprised perform best, right? Yeah. Yeah, as, uh, one of the final kind of wrap-up questions I wanted to ask you is about a test that, that went as you expected and tests that really didn't. Um, but I want to ask you about how quickly you decide to give something that doesn't look like it's doing very much a chance because... With six weeks, you don't really have very long. You know, you can't say, right, we're going to give this particular ad set a week to see what it's doing. Like, what are your time windows? How long are you giving something before you put a bullet in its head? So typically, you know, you have a lot longer. You have the chance to get out of the learning phase on Facebook. However, with six weeks, we just didn't have that time. So 
we would look at a couple of different things like add to cart. At about five to six add to carts, we would look at that cost, um, right. you know, expected conversion rates based on previous experience and data, and then also CTR. And at about four to five, if it was within about five to 10% on a range, we would keep it and let it kind of see what happens. And if it was just way off, we'd cut it. And if it was within that range, you know, it was right where we needed it or better, we would then raise the budget about 10 to 15%, duplicate that ad set, and double or triple that budget. Now, sometimes we would duplicate it within the same ad account, and sometimes we would move it into a different ad account so that we're not necessarily competing against ourselves so much. Um, the other thing we would do is then try a manual bid and have different stages of manual bids. So very low, you know, cost per purchase, a little higher, one just a little higher than that, and kind of trick the system into thinking they're different ad sets and not competing against each other so so much, but also being able to utilize as much of that traffic as we could and as many of those low-cost conversions as we could. Love it, I love it. So there's, there's a couple of things there. Firstly, so it sounds like you're you're not even waiting for actual conversions. You're looking further you know you're much earlier in the funnel just looking at click-through rate and if the click-through rate isn't even there the ad's gone or the ad the ad isn't boosted right but if the click-through rate's there you're like right there's a sign of life in this let's give it a bit more of a chance to succeed yeah it was a mix between click-through rates and add to carts hmm. and now typically i wouldn't i wouldn't do this but with such a short flight and so much money to spend we had to move fast yeah. and I, like you mentioned, I just didn't have that time to waste a week to see if I wanted to boost this or not. So at that stage, what are you optimizing the ads for? Are you optimizing the ads for click-through rates or add to carts or conversions or just you doing everything manual? So actually we had, we used a lot of different conversion rates. Um, when it came to retargeting past customers, we actually saw that the, PPE ads were return had about a 3.69 return on ad spend, just focusing on PPE within the first week or two. Awesome. So that was actually during the social proofing of the ad. So before we even actually started this campaign, we're on, we already had a 3.69 return on ad spend. And so, you know, we would change the actual conversion goals as well as we duplicated these campaigns and tested them in different ad accounts. So we did everything from view product, add to carts, purchases, and even PPE, as I mentioned, and CTR. Um, CTR didn't perform all that great. Um, there were a few ad sets where it did work. Um, mostly it was view product, add to cart, and conversions. And did that surprise you? Is that something that you've taken into other campaigns now from this test? It is. Um, PPE is actually something when I'm doing retargeting and page fans to build the social proof, I've seen always has a really good return on ad spend if you have good creative. And I mean, good creative is always key, right? You know, I think that's something that's always overlooked. People, they'll spend the money, they'll pay an agency, and then when it comes to the creative, they try to kind of really bootstrap it. And that's the number one problem there. You know, you're targeting, you're messaging, everything could be perfect. Your website optimization could be great, but if you don't have 
good creative, then you're not going to capture anyone's attention. Yeah. So, oh, like moving on to kind of talking about lessons and, and what listeners can, can take from this. It's not the sort of situation which happens every day is that you've got six weeks to spend a million. Most people have a little bit longer. But what do you do differently now, other than looking at, say, PPE, that you kind of learned and, and took from this campaign? And if someone's running an e-commerce fashion Facebook ad campaign themselves, what would be some of the things that you suggest testing because you've been forced into this hyper-intense campaign yourself? Sure. Um, you know, I start wide now. Um, we were kind of forced to use wide, wide audiences um, because you know one percent just wasn't a one percent lookalike wasn't there. Um, right. You know, I test seven percent, five percent. Wow. Even t- we've seen success there for for this particular client. I think we stayed at seven percent. That was the. That was the first time I'd gone that wide for a conversion goal. Mm. And, you know, 7% had decent return on ad spend. It was a little above 2x. Uh, but 5x actually, or 5% had a really good return on ad spend. Um, and so I think testing what, starting wide and then narrowing it down is really important. You know, the other thing I think for other brands out there is they shy away from telling their brand story and that's something that's really important either telling the brand or founder story at the top of the funnel works really well you know I have a good friend named Nick Sharma who was the head of DTC for Hintwater and when he joined Hintwater he started to push all of the ads to telling the founder story and it's a great story and you know he eventually went on and you know, wouldn't show an ad for the actual water until they've seen or interacted with the founder story. And I think that's something that's really important too. You know, in this day and age, people just don't care about products and price always, right? They also care about having a connection to the brand and building that connection is really important, which is where the whole strategy really comes into play. And and that feels quite counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because in a lot of ways... A lot of smaller businesses in particular, one of the first steps they need to take is to stop talking about themselves so much and actually start talking about, you know, features and benefits and stuff. And here we're saying actually telling the story of the business on the first date is is a good kind of entry point. Yeah, it's very counterintuitive, you know, especially because at the top of the funnel, you're going for engagement or video views or something along those lines. And of course your end goal is always to get sales. And now that always freaks people out um, if they've never really done that before because they're like, well, I want sales. I don't care if they know who I am. But people these days, they care who you are before they purchase. You know, I always use the, I always use example, if I'm a telemarketer calling you uh, 15, you know, every day for 50 days, right, with the same message to buy, 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 by the 50th day, do you really think I'm going to buy? But if I go ahead and tell you about who we are, what we do, and then move that conversation along to other people we've helped or, um, you know, how we helped your neighbor down the street with X, Y, Z, and then kind of start to go into the push, are you much more likely to first stay, stay engaged 
and are you much more likely to actually purchase, right? Um, because the way you do this is, or the way I like to think about this is, each step of the way you're asking for a little, a little bit and a little more from the consumer, right? At first it's read this article, watch this video, engage with this post, um, you know, check out our website, and then we kind of work it down. If you go straight into a cold audience and say purchase now, Sometimes it works, it does work, don't get me wrong. Um, but overall, it's not as sustainable because those audiences get saturated, you're unable to control how long they're in there and you're having to refresh your creative so much more. Mm. And with the funnel strategy, you're able to kind of segment how long people stay in that funnel and the type of creative they're exposed to. So that's something that I've seen really work well for evergreen funnel campaigns. So maybe you could talk us through what that would look like for for a business that isn't so, um, you know, doesn't doesn't have that tight tight deadline. So let's say, for example, that you've got a piece of creative like a video about the backstory of the business, and you wanted to use that as the the first ad that people would see. What would happen at each stage of the funnel in order to get to a point where you're happy to show them a commercial message and actually try and push them into into buying so like what steps would you have and what would be the sort of timings that you'd be testing to begin with um along that journey sure so i mean every brand every you know client is different it depends on the budget what they can afford for creative what their products are all of that um but you know if i have a really good video I'm going to optimize for either engagement or video views. And then from there, you know, the middle of the funnel would be people that engaged or watched, you know, 50 to 75% of that video at least um, over the last 14 days. And then I'm going to show them something else. And that could be an ad with a testimonial. It could be a how-to guide. You know, if I'm a camping store, it could be the top 10 tips to you know, summer camping in California. Um, and then from there, I will then start to showcase some of those camping products to them, trying to get them to either add to cart or purchase, right? I would test both because sometimes I see add to cart outperform purchases. Mm. Um, and then from there, it would be a retargeting of people, you know, a dynamic product retargeting ad of all the people that, you know, what they viewed the product or they added the cart and I typically like to separate those. And that would be within the last seven to 21 days. So the, um, the listener at this point might be thinking, geez, that sounds like a lot of work with all these steps. Like, do I really need to bother with this content stuff? But the reason that you're doing this is because every one of those steps, it costs less to get someone to engage with that thing than it does to get them through to purchase, right? So you're building a more and more qualified audience as you move down that journey. Exactly. Um, you know, Facebook typically requires per ad set 50 conversions within seven days. Now, if you don't have a lot of budget, you're never going to get out of that learning phase. Mm. But by doing it this way, you're pre-qualifying those people for Facebook. Right now, you might not get out of that learning phase based on your budget and your conversion costs, but you're going to see better results because you're pre-qualifying that funnel. And now you're taking that step away from Facebook requiring to 
need all 50 conversions to figure out who's the best person to show this ad to. Hmm. And you know, the one thing that people always think of is this funnel requires, this strategy requires so much money. You know, I've seen people do it as, with as little as 30 to $40 a day. Um, you can still do a great funnel strategy. Now, granted that depends on your product and your price. If you're selling a $50,000 course, $30 a day is not gonna really get you a lot of sales, but um, you know, you have to take that into account. But that's something I've seen work really well and is something that I push for all of my clients. It seems to be the kind of the modern way people like Ezra Firestone talk a lot about this, don't they? Leading with the content rather than leading with the product. I think it's something that beginner businesses that are just starting to advertise for themselves on Facebook, because it's so counterintuitive, it's just an approach that they would never come across. They would never develop this for themselves, would they? No, and you know, I think that's kind of the problem. You know, times are changing. You know, five years ago, you could get away without telling the brand story. And in fact, no one really cared about your brand story, Mm. even if you had a great one. And now, especially millennials and Gen Z, they care about the story, they care about the brand, they care about the brand mission. They relate more to people, or they relate more to the people within the brand than they do the actual products itself. And you've seen brands do a great job of creating that story. Yeti's another, Yeti's a great example. Movement Watches is a great example mm. of really kind of pushing their mission for low cost, affordable, stylish watches. And, you know, Movement Watches has just blown up. You know, they were acquired by Movado for, I think, $200 million within like four or five years of starting. Um, and they seem to be like you see them everywhere on Instagram and Facebook but you don't really see like you don't see magazine ads for them I don't think is it purely social media that they've used to grow primarily yes they grew through a lot of podcast um, a lot of podcast ads and primarily through Instagram specifically in the Mm. beginning days they were one of the first big brands to really push Instagram ads Um, as well as Facebook, but social media advertising is where they are. So do you think we're moving into a period then where we're talking about more sophisticated ad strategy like this, where Facebook ads, historically, it was something that was simple enough for pretty much anyone to just open an account, throw in small budget and start getting some feedback. Are we, is this becoming a bit more like Google ads as it matures, where you're going to be competing as professional advertisers, the cost of the inventory is going way up. So you need to be savvier. And it's the the beginners, the DIYers are just going to get their fingers burnt. You know, I think beginners and DIYs um, that don't do it with, sorry, that do it without learning Mm. are going to get their fingers burnt. You know, the competition is just getting higher and higher. Facebook's removing a lot of different tools and targeting options. So you have to be smarter. You have to go through different different hoops to get there, right? You have to jump through a lot of different hoops because the most obvious targets are going to be the most expensive ones. So you mm. really have to test different audiences and strategies, right? Um, if I'm going to promote you know, a blog post that I write for digital marketing and I just put digital marketers as the only interest group or 
um, job title, then, you know, I'm going to have a lot of competition there. I have to really understand who my target market is and build that customer avatar for them hmm. and find different ways. So I do think that it's just getting harder and harder and without a good strategy and a good understanding of how Facebook really works, they're going to get burned. Yeah. But also at the same time, that provides opportunity, right? Because if you do invest the time, if you do, you know, you do take this stuff seriously, you try some different stuff, you go a bit deeper than just playing around on the surface, the results are there. Absolutely. Um, not just, you know, Facebook ads is not dead by any means. And I'm not saying that, you know, small business marketers can't get through there. I know plenty that do it. I've run ads myself that work. It's just, you have to play around and you have to really understand how the Facebook ads algorithm works mm. to be successful. Love it, love it. So any examples of Facebook ad tests which you thought, do you know what, this is gonna be a home run. Here we go, get ready boys. Here come the conversions but ended up being a complete waste of time. You know, there were a few. One of those was actually what they've been doing in the past, um, just straight conversion campaigns to their odd to the 1% lookalike. And you know what, actually, in the long run through this campaign, the 1% lookalike actually was the 12th, it was in the bottom 15 of top ad sets. Wow. So that's totally counterintuitive. Um, For those who don't do Facebook ads, so the 1% lookalike is the the super most similar audience to was it website traffic that you're doing a lookalike of? Purchasers. Purchasers, right. So the people that are most like the purchasers. And you're saying actually you got better results from casting a broader net. I did. It's not something you would ever think of. It's very counterintuitive and not something I I typically see. Hmm. But it was the case. So that Yeah. Yeah. So that would be an example of a test that you ran where you thought, well, mate, uh, we'll give it a go, but actually the results ended up being amazing. So 5% was your best performing, is that right? And you tested up to 7 and even 10? I think 3% might have been a little better, um, but 3 and 5 were actually quite, quite strong. So they were the top two. Cool. Any other tests that you ran which you just thought, oh, we'll give this a punt, see what happens, and ended up being amazing? You know, one of the things that we did was actually get access to influencer Facebook pages. So other people's Facebook pages that had a great audience, very similar to our target market, and ran ads using that page. It worked very well. Um, it works very well, especially when you're trying to tell a brand story hmm. or a founder story. Doing that works extremely well. Um, because people already know this brand, they trust this brand, and they're much more likely to interact with them. Um, I do that even for conversion campaigns as well. So if I have an ad at the bottom of the funnel and I, I'll throw in, I'll try to work some deal uh, with influencer pages that are, that are in, the, um, in the similar space. That's cool. I guess it goes back to what we were saying about the testimonial always carries more weight than the than the brand's own copy, just an extreme version of that. Absolutely. So I think if you have the budget, um, I definitely recommend doing that. I also think that it doesn't require a lot of budget. 
depending on the space you're in and the influencer you want. You know, obviously, if I'm taking out trying to buy Adweek's Facebook page to push my ad, that's going to be very expensive. But if I'm choosing a smaller, smaller Facebook page or Instagram profile, it can work very well. Very awesome. cost effective. Love it. JP, thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes of the campaign. Where can people find out more about you and your agency? Yeah, you can check out adtributeagency.com, A-D-T-R-I-B-U-T-E, agency.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook under JP Joel. Spelled J-O-H-L for those listening on the audio. Amazing. Thank you so much, JP. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hey, thanks, Tim. Hope you found this video useful. And remember, if you enjoyed it, click the little like button. If you want to check out more videos from Exposure Ninja, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and that little bell icon, or leave us a comment if you've got any questions or suggestions of things that you'd like to see us cover in future. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free website and digital marketing review. What will happen here is we'll ask you a few questions about your website and your goals, and one of our team will then put together a 15 minute video where we'll show you how to improve your website's ranking, your traffic and your conversions. It's completely free of charge. I know, crazy right? But danger, there is a chance that you'll become a client after seeing this review because it'll blow your socks off. I have to be honest, but don't let that put you off. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.